Please be seated. So this exchange between Jesus and the Syrophoenician woman, it's a designation that identifies her as a Greek woman from the Roman-ruled province of Syria. And it appears on its surface that Jesus is rebuking this woman. When I read this passage, I have to ask the questions, why would Jesus speak so unkindly to this lady? Why would he compare her to a dog? I mean, she seems to be a woman of faith, seeking healing, not even for herself, but for her daughter. And she seems to be aware that Jesus is the one with the power to heal. Not only that, but she seems to be aware that she doesn't need all of Jesus' power or attention to her problem, but just the scraps of his power, just the leftovers of his attention to her problem would be sufficient. It seems that she would be satisfied if He could just give her the crumbs from the table where the Lord provides. If we understand the culture of the day, we see that this woman falls into two categories where she might be seen as something less than. One, she's not Jewish. And two, she's a woman. From the typically Jewish perspective of the day, her place in society would have been closer to that of a dog than to a Jewish man of the day. Jesus knows this. He's not ignorant of the prevailing culture. He's not unaware of the predominant worldview in which they are. But what he does here is to poke fun at it. See, I can picture him here not being rude and arrogant because of his elevated social status as a Jewish man, but rather I can picture him saying to this woman through a grin, let the children be fed first, for it's not fair to take the children's food and throw it to the dogs. To which she smiles back at him and says, Sir, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. See, I know that response, playful sarcasm in response to playful sarcasm, brought a smile to Jesus' face. And so she's invited to take not just the crumbs from under the Lord's table, but a full portion. She's given what she asked for. Her daughter's demon is exercised and she is restored. And many present there at that scene may have thought that the woman was not worthy to approach the Lord's table even for the scraps. But you see, the Lord is all about feeding the least and the lost. 
So he feeds her need completely. Who is it we invite to sit with us at our table? Who do we deem worthy to receive blessing? Who is it we are comfortable breaking bread with? Is it the least and the lost, or is it only those that we judge worthy to sit with us? Who in our prevailing culture do we hold to be no better than dogs? Who is it we segregate ourselves from? See, if I were to hold a supper at my house, with Angela's permission, of course, if I were to hold a supper at my house and I invited all of our friends and acquaintances, those who might profess to be Christ followers, some from different denominations, some who were seekers, some who are in need of a relationship, wouldn't it be expected that we could all sit around the same table as friends and share the same bread and the same wine? And if Jesus himself were to show up and I relinquished my role as host, which I gladly would do, Would he then insist that we divide ourselves into our respective denominations and socioeconomic categories or sit at separate tables according to our race, our ethnicity, or what have you? And then if he did that, at which table would Jesus sit? The Methodist table? The Catholic table? Lutheran table, the white table, the black table, the Hispanic table. Whose table would Jesus sit? In Galatians 2, Paul rebukes Peter for refusing to break bread with Gentiles who were Christ followers because they were not Jewish. Paul points out to him that the redemptive power of the resurrection fulfills and supersedes the law. And that by grace and the new covenant, we are now the church, the body of Christ, and no longer Jew or Gentile, Protestant, Catholic, black or white. One Lord, one table. So back to our dinner party. If if Jesus showed up, he would want all of his beloved children to sit at the table with him, to be in fellowship and communion with him, to break bread with him, drink wine with him. No believer would be excluded, and those that have a desire to know him would also be welcome. That's the way Jesus would host a supper if he showed up. And just so that we're all on the same page, all of us do believe that he does in fact show up at the table, right? The Lord's table, the Lord's supper, holy communion is about relationship with our Lord and with one another as the church, 
and with those outside the church who have a hunger to know Jesus Christ. We celebrate communion to remember what Christ did for us on the cross and to be in fellowship with him and to join together with each other in love because it is love that brings us to the table in the first place. What is love, really? When I think of that, I always go to the go-to verse about love in the Bible. really a chapter. 1 Corinthians 13. Now, if you've ever been to a wedding, ever, you've probably heard this passage of Scripture read. And I often wonder, especially with the subject of marriage being the topic of the day these days, I wonder if the people who have a desire to be married have really ever read and studied this passage of Scripture and fully appreciate this incredible gift that God has given us in these words. See, love is not an emotion. Love is a quality. It's a divine quality of God. It's His very nature. It's His character, His essence. And we experience a reflection of that love And as the Holy Spirit leads us, we aspire to it in our relationships. Not just the marriage relationship, but in our relationships with one another. We love because He first loved us. It's only through the gift of God's love that we even have the the capacity, the ability to love Him and to love others. So 1 Corinthians starts like this. It says, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but do not have love, I have become a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and know all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. And if I give all my possessions to feed the poor, and if I surrender my body to be burned, but do not have love, it profits me nothing. See, the first three verses of 1 Corinthians 13 speak of the importance of love. In the midst of all those wonderful and positive attributes that are discussed here, none of them has value without the attitude and the attribute of love. Love is the center. Love is the Christ-exalting element. God is love. So when we put love at the center of our relationships, we're putting God at the center of our relationships. So it goes on. Love is patient. Love is kind and is not jealous. Love does not brag and is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly does not seek its own, is not provoked, does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth, 
bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. If you want a formula to how a relationship should work, this is it. I think people forget what God intended a relationship to be, especially in this culture, which seeks to define relationships in superficial terms of sexuality, something superficial that is really not the essence of God is love. This formula works in any relationship, not just between married couples. This is the detail implied in the golden rule, do unto others as you would have them do unto you. So the last few verses of that passage, love never fails. But if there are gifts of prophecy, they will be done away. If there are tongues, they will cease. If there is knowledge, it will be done away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will be done away. When I was a child, I used to speak like a child, think like a child, reason like a child. When I became a man, I did away with childish things. For now we see in a mirror dimly. But then, face to face, now I know in part, but then I will know fully, just as I also have been fully known. But now faith, hope, love, abide these three. But the greatest of these is love. Love is something out of this world. At least it's not of this world. These verses tell of the supernatural divine nature of love and we are only scratching the very thin surface of what love is here in this mortal realm. It goes much deeper than we have the ability to see or feel. It requires an extra sensory perception something beyond the physical that we will only possess in our glorified state once we reach the full measure of the full stature of Christ. We've talked about that through our whole series on Ephesians. And here it is again. That process of sanctification that occurs, that begins immediately upon being saved and continues through the path of our life until we reach that full stature, that full measure. But for now we know but a glimpse, just a whisper of the incredible gift of love that God is, that He brings to us through the Holy Spirit and that He demonstrated by the giving of His Son. It's about relationship. Communion is about relationship. It's a gathering of hopeful people, searching people around a gas pump in northwest Houston. People gathered who don't know one another, who are sharing in the grief of a family who just lost a husband and a father. 
to an assassin's bullet. Communion is thousands of people stopping for a brief moment across the nation to acknowledge a fallen deputy sheriff in Harris County, Texas. Communion is the tears of sorrow and of joy of the families of 21 Coptic Christians in Libya executed by ISIS. Tears of sorrow for the loss of their loved ones and tears of joy because their loved ones held steadfast in their faith to the very end. Tears flowing up to heaven like prayers. Communion is a small congregation of believers in Splendora coming together in prayer and serving each and every family who visits the church for a box of food and a word of prayer once a month. Communion is a handful of prayer warriors praying for passers-by at Archie's grocery store. Communion is laughter and conversation around the family dinner table, which happens increasingly rarely these days. Communion is a husband and wife praying together and raising a family up in the Lord, or it's a single mom trying to do the same. Communion is a dad helping his son with a Boy Scout merit badge or a mother and daughter shopping trip to furnish a college dorm room. Communion is a family sitting together for movie night or worshiping together at Countryside United Methodist. Communion is the dad who goes to his prayer closet every night on his knees to pray for the deliverance of his family from the snares of the evil one. Communion is the wife and mom who drives her kids to school each day, all of them singing along with Christian radio and praising God the whole way. Communion is relationship that puts Jesus at the center and honors and glorifies God. Communion. Relationship with Jesus Christ restores, redeems, revitalizes, resurrects, rejuvenates, re-energizes. And as in the case of this Syrophoenician woman in 1 Corinthians... Communion exercises demons. I wonder, do we as individuals, as a congregation, as a tribe, as a people, as a nation, do we have any demons that need exercising? I believe that we do. There's the demon of racism, the demon of classism, the demon of materialism, the demon of idolatry, the the demon of self-interest, the demon of perverse humanism, the demon of Islamic fascism, the demon of... Well, you get the idea. You can fill in the blank with your own demons. And the demons are legion. But thanks be to God for the gift of holy communion with Jesus Christ, which exercises demons.
See, communion is an ordinance of grace given to us through the sacrifice of our Savior Jesus on the cross. His body broken for us. His blood shed for us. His love poured out on us so that we might live life abundant, eternal, in holy communion with Him. So as you approach the table this morning, do so in full awareness of the presence of the Lord. Because He is indeed present here. In fact, He is the one who invites you to come break bread with Him. Thanks be to God. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So now I would ask.